since brevity is the soul of wit. More of your conversation would infect my brain. Romeo, wherefore art thou, Romeo? To speak of him as my kinsman, he's a most notable coward, an infinite and endless liar, an hourly promise breaker, the owner of no one good quality worthy your lordship's entertained. I'd beat thee, but I should infect my hand. The lady doth protest too much, methinks. The course of true love never did run smooth. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Aiden. And we are the Bix. And we are here today to talk about King Lear. King Lear. One of the big ones. Mm-hmm. One of, maybe, maybe one of the biggest. I think it's up there with Hamlet in terms of uh, connection to Shakespeare. You say Shakespeare... Lear is one of the big ones yeah. that come up. Maybe Macbeth, maybe Romeo and Juliet, Hamlet. Yeah. But this is definitely one of the big, biggest ones uh, that we've touched so far. And uh, Lindsay, I'm just going to come out right, in, right out and say it. Don't care for this play very much. <laughs> really? Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's not, despite being a very memorable play in a lot of ways, I forget this play almost every time I've read it. Uh, this is probably the third time <laughs> I've read it. Is this why in our in your notes you were so consistently confusing Cordelia and Goneril? Yeah, I don't care for any of the characters. That's that's <laughs> one of the biggest problems in the play for me personally uh, is that I don't care about no any of these characters. characters. Nobody. I mean, Edgar to an extent, I guess, but right. just just bitch slap your brother. Like it's not. I don't know. I don't know. It's just it's it's annoying. But um. Yeah, I, I don't I don't care for it very much. What about I did, you? I didn't mind it. I think it's a it's I think it has that like you said, it's got that cultural cachet that makes it um it's one of the big ones, right? Mm. So you feel like you have to read it, you feel like you have to enjoy it, and I think that mars my enjoyment of it a little bit. Yeah. Because it's so big, that makes me sound like a hipster. Um <laughs> Like I only like the plays that Before nobody likes. Cool. Yeah, yeah exactly, right. Yeah. But um, but that's not what I mean. I mean, it's it's kind of. I think you're right. There's just there's an unlikability to most of the characters. I don't like Lear. I I feel a little bit sorry for Lear, but not really. I feel a little bit sorry for uh, Cordelia, but also kind of not really. Yeah. Like there's really nothing redeeming about a lot of the characters. So it's hard to. It's it's just watching a bunch of bad people do bad things to each other. Yes. And if I wanted to do that, I could just go to my family reunion you know i'm just kidding i love my family but it does have that kind of feel like this is just a dysfunctional family spiraling out of control and watching it is not the most enjoyable thing especially since you know what's going to happen well and especially since the ending is so just somber and terrible and everybody dies it's very hamlet-esque that way and I don't think it. I don't think it really adds much. I mean, in in the source material, we'll get we'll talk about this in a little bit. But uh, in the source material, Cordelia and Lear both come back, and, yeah. and he reigns for a while, and then he passes on the reins successfully to her. So Shakespeare made a choice to uh, kill his two kind of protagonist main happy characters. Makes you wonder why. And you wonder why. Yeah. Um, maybe it's something about daughters. Problems you know? at home. Yeah. Billy shakes. Billy shakes. Um, <laughs> but before we get too far into that, Lindsay, it mm-hmm. is your turn. Mm-hmm. Uh, 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. I have a clock ready. Do you have your brain ready? No. Okay. But I'm, I'm going to do this. it. You're going to do it anyway. Yeah, anyways. I'll put okay. it on. And That's fine. Um, let me know when. Ready. Okay, go. So the play starts with uh, a man abdicating basically his throne, dividing it up between his three daughters, one of whom his favorite chooses not to flatter him, so he doesn't give her the land, and he gives it to his other two eldest daughters instead. And... Uh, in, in an attempt to have his cake and eat it too, he ends up uh, running afoul of his eldest daughters, 
they treat him poorly and there's a subplot about bastards as well in there um and everybody dies at the end tragedy ensues no hilarity ensues tragedy ensues yeah yeah okay that's fair yeah the the tragedy ensues is definitely a good summary of this one because yeah, yeah everybody dies and it is uh yeah it is sad it, it yeah but i mean you have to wonder for a play that's so wrapped up with questions about what's just and and who mm. deserves justice there are some big questions that i'm left with about what is the justice of this ending because there's uh, there are characters who absolutely get what they deserve, and then there are other characters who do wrong but get worse than they deserve. And so I'm not sure. It's a very chaotic play. It's a very chaotic yeah. ending in that sense. It doesn't follow the rule of rule of law or the rule of order or anything like that no. in a way that you would expect for a play that, at least from the character's point of view, is so concerned with justice. Yeah. So that's not what Shakespeare is trying to do. I don't think he's trying to talk about justice or or like what we've mentioned in the past with other plays about kings. You know, is this an example of good kingly? Like, yeah, it, no, this that's... isn't a history play, although you've written in your notes that it has history play vibes to it. Yeah. It also has a lot of this like allegorical characterization that um, that points to some like plutonic higher form that yes, Shakespeare's trying to get to fatherhood right? and yeah yeah, yeah right yeah. so it's um yeah it's it's I think that yeah it's a chaotic play that's uh, I'm gonna go with no no absolutely and it, and it it kind of sets it up right from the start and, and to connect to that traditional hierarchical um I really can't say that word for my life hierarchical yeah that word uh it, it, the play starts off just disassembling that entire notion, right? Lear is still alive. He is the mm-hmm. king, and yet he gives his power away yeah. um, while still wanting to retain it. And that, that just causes the chaos of the entire play to follow, right? And, and mirroring that with the subplot of Gloucester and his, his, his sons, sons yeah. where he's upending, a little, I think, a little bit more of a the expected trope of the bastard doesn't have anything to do with it and the legitimate son has everything, but he's trying to like thread the needle between them both yeah, in a way extent, which yeah. which kind of upends the expectation there as well so um not as not as king or anything like that but as the head of his household and, yeah. and that kind of thing so that's a nice mirror that you have between gloucester and lear as the two fathers dealing with unruly children yeah um but bef- let's 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 bring it back a little bit. Okay, sure. Let's bring sure. it all the way back to the, what, 8th century? B.C. B.C., the 8th century B.C. This because is... they were great record-keeping wow. back then. Um, is, this, is this the oldest play that Shakespeare is talking about? I, I like think, think of the so. Greek and Roman tragedy-type things that he's... That's This predates that, I guess Troilus and Cressida, the, the Trojan War was around right. the same time period. Okay. Uh, the real one. Yeah. But, I mean... I think the they backdated that yeah. a little bit further even in, in the, the history. Yeah. I'm giving air quotes for uh, of the time of what they understood the ancient world to be. So, yeah, the the, the real quote-unquote Lear um, was, a, it's he's more a mythical figure okay. than really anything. Um, but, he, yeah, he's credited as existing around the 8th century BC. Yeah. He's, his reign over what is now England, Albion, was, uh, he's, it's kind of, contemporaneous with the founding of Rome. So it's okay. kind of like these great mythical uh, founding figures. Um, he's also, he speaking of founding a city, he's credited with uh, the founding of Leicester. So I did not know that. Neither did I. But I now that it. that's all I'm going to think about when I see the name Leicester, because that originally spelled L 
L-E-I-R yeah. was Lear. Yeah. And that's Lester. Like, and, that's yeah. And, it, and in the Welsh, it also connects very closely to, to the... The, how Lear is spelled. So it all makes okay. sense, yeah. yeah. Um, and the story as we kind of have it and how Shakespeare more or less gives it to us uh, was first written down by Geoffrey de Monmouth uh, in his 12th century uh, historical mm-hmm. uh, King Arthur, all those uh, the History of the figures. Kings of Britain or yeah, something? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then also uh, Holland's Head read yeah. it in his Chronicles, which again was a historical source for a lot of Shakespeare's other plays. Yeah. So in a sense it does feel like a history in the sense that yeah. it is borrowing a story whole cloth from uh, the historical, historical record. Source, yeah. But in this case, the historical record is basically a myth anyway, yeah. so it has a lot more dramatic elements that, that work really a lot better as a play. Yeah. Um, compared Literary to elements, like, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah compared yeah. to the, the very true history of Henry VI. Right. Which you know, only was well documented. Years yeah, exactly. Yeah. Years earlier, yeah. 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 So you don't have to have 40 different characters that don't that aren't actually involved in the main plot, yeah. although there is a bit of that in, here and there. <laughs> um, and yeah, the major difference between those sources and what we get in the play is mostly that Cordelia survived uh, and Lear was restored to the throne. He right. lived for a while, and then after he died, he passed it on successfully to Cordelia. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's, interesting choices that Shakespeare makes mm-hmm. that we can uh, talk about a little bit here. Yeah. Um, and there's another King Lear play, mm-hmm. actually. Uh, it, this one's also a little shady. I think you can actually read it online. Um, but there is a King Lear with an L-E-I-R, so mm-hmm. Lear with an I. Um, and it was registered with the stationer's register uh, in May of 1594. Um, but there's another record of it being in 1605 okay. for the same, under the same name. Um, so they're not really sure when exactly this Are thing there, was Is there more than one version of the there play? There could have been. Uh, is one of them a mistranslation of the this same text? Lear that, that's, there, put into the stationer's register? There's a lot of theories about the okay. connections between the two Lears. Right. Some are that uh, this one, the Lear with an I came first. Mm-hmm. Shakespeare based his Lear on, on this one. one. Uh, others, they're contemporaneous and they were competing against each other. Right. Um, but yeah, the, so the, the timeline doesn't quite make sense. Right. Um, or it's not quite clear. Um, but the one in 1594 would be interesting because Shakespeare was probably a player in the Queen's company at this yeah. point. And he the Queen's men? Yes, yes. And he would have uh, potentially performed King Lear. Okay. Probably not as the titular character. He would have been a young... Were they the Queen's men? I think so. Queen... The, the Lord I... Chamberlain's men? Lord Chamberlain's men? Yeah. The King's men, the Lord Chamberlain's what, was, men. What, what was the one that went around touring, though? I think it was that one. Oh, I don't remember. See, my, my history is not as good as my... No anything else yeah. which is not boding well for this episode i think <laughs> but that's interesting and I, it would be it would be interesting to read if you can find it i didn't know that there was another version of this i would have liked to kind of take a look at it and see maybe do a compare and contrast a compare and contrast with uh this version that we have from shakespeare mm-hmm. which is based on two quarters and a folio yes like yes. four so- weddings and a funeral <laughs> Close, 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 yeah. <laughs> so there's a quarto first, uh, and there are two versions of that quarto yeah. uh, that are kind of similar. Quarto, the second quarto fixed some things, yeah. introduced some new errors. Uh, the folio uh, added whole new scenes uh, right. and took away some. So there's no one definitive text of Lear, just like with Hamlet, where there's you can either combine or take away uh, as you see fit. Yeah. The version that we read in uh, from the Folgers is mostly the folio, right. but they did add in most of the stuff that's missing from the folio and in the Cordo. I I've been reading the plays along with an audiobook version mm-hmm. just to get that theatrical yeah, yeah. quality back. And so this was a version I don't know what year it was, but the version that I was listening to was um John Gilgood as Lear mm. with 
quite the cast. Emma Thompson yeah, and saying, Kenneth Branagh yeah, yeah. and um, uh, Bob Hoskins was in it. I think is uh, as Oswald. Wow. I might have been wrong about that. But anyway, um, it was actually pretty faithful to this. But there were some things that they cut. So the Folger version, you say, is the folio version. Yeah. And that restores lines that were cut from a quarto or no, adds lines it adds quarto? lines that okay. weren't in the quarto gotcha. but the quarto also has stuff that isn't in the folio so the okay. folger edition basically smushes them mm. together um which is, i think okay. is similar to um the version we read in university right. I remember uh dr king mm-hmm. our illustrious professor uh telling us like she hated that when they just like well i can't make up my mind so we just, just mash it put together. it all in there and it seems like it's it's a little way out there it's it's really interesting because sometimes it's just uh an expansion on what's yeah. in the original in the one version is just like there's then just you add, five or ten extra lines that just expound on this one theme yeah. but yeah but they're not really necessary to the plot you realize how much Shakespeare <laughs> can be sidebar <laughs> when people do that like mm. I, I, I not to disagree with Dr. King who I, I hope doesn't listen to our podcast Jesus Christ <laughs> um, but I, I think in the interest of um, uh, Shakespearean scholarship totality holistically I don't know what I'm trying to get at but in in trying to be completist right including all the lines just mashing them together is actually I think that I would like to I would like that more yeah right I don't want somebody in some place in some publisher's office making a decision about what version of Shakespeare is authentic right I just present everything that's there and and kind of let people decide I don't know that's maybe fair. maybe that makes me a crazy, you know, anarchist. <laughs> well, I, I just I feel like um, the folio especially is nice because it, it does seem to have like uh, uh, an editor mm-hmm. went through it and, and yeah, yeah. condensed it to what we actually uh, were supposed to see to an extent. But yeah. it was after Shakespeare's death, so it wasn't Shakespeare who was yeah. doing that. I don't know. There's For so me, many problems with that, right? Yeah, like I know. trying to trying to decide. Well, and that's it is a really is. thankless job yeah. for any editor putting yeah. together a version to be yeah. like, okay, well, there's and there's uh, there's all sorts of like people who like analyze the text mm-hmm. and uh, you know go into the printing process and will scan the original copies to say like, yeah. oh, was this added in later? Or yeah. Was this a handwritten note or something like that? It, there, there's so much thought that goes into just yeah, yeah, yeah. what lines you keep from yeah. the version. So it's definitely uh, not an easy choice. So it's fine for this one. It's fine. We'll we'll accept. We'll allow it. I mean, obviously, we'll deign to allow it on I, this I podcast. I, I suppose so. <laughs> We're such snobs. But not really. But I, not I really. Really, don't give a shit. <laughs> All right. If you prick us. So let's talk about the characters. Yeah. I think the the way that this play is structured and why I kind of bristled when you said this is a history play. I was like, nah, is it really that? Um, The nice um, parallels that are being set up between those two plots. You've got the Lear plot with his daughters and his loss of power and his eventual descent into madness. And then you've got Gloucester and his sons and the power struggle there between Edgar and Edmund, um, which I'm going to get confused. Edgar's the good one. Edmund is the bad one? That's right. Okay. But yeah, I can't remember it for Save My Life. Yeah. That, and I got very confused the whole time I was reading and I'm yeah. like, wait, which one is Which no. one is the good one? Yeah. <laughs> Except when they went away. Then I was like, okay, now I, now I understand. Um, so you've got this nice this nice parallel here between uh, Lear and Gloucester who are the two fathers in the play, right? They're both dealing with... Um, I don't want to say similar issues, but there there's a succession question, mm-hmm. right? About who is going to inherit my land in Lear's case, and he's trying to do it very equitably. Um, 
and there's a, a showiness to it. I love that uh, mm-hmm. his advisors are like, this is a foregone conclusion. He's already decided that he's going to split up his land, but this is like the pomp and circumstance. It's like the queen's other birthday that she always has, where it's just like the day what? that, like, yeah, you know, the queen has two birthdays, right? Like no, her actual birthday. Born on a birthday. Yeah, yeah, but then there's like the day that they celebrate her birthday because it's like less likely to be rainy on that day, so they can have a big parade for her. So there's like what? Yeah, you didn't real? know that? Oh my god, yeah. Totally. I'm, I'm really for abolishing the monarchy at this point. Go on, continue <laughs> to listen. It's kinda like that, yeah. right? Where it's like, this is for show. This is just I'm gonna assemble all my people mm-hmm. and I'm gonna ask my daughters and I'm gonna put them on the spot and I'm gonna make them, you know, love me in yeah. public, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. And that's where the the conflict and this the initial inciting incident for Cordelia and Lear is set up. Um so you've got that, and then you've got Gloucester and Edgar and Edmund, and how that Edmund is younger than Edgar, correct? No, Edmund was born first, so he's the eldest brother, and that's why he okay. being the bastard. Uh, he, oh he yeah, has, yeah, he has right, like right, a feeling right. Like if he wasn't a bastard, he yeah, he would be. The, yes, okay, yes. See, I just did it. I got confused. Yeah. Yes. So the bastard is older than yeah. the legitimate son, yeah. but the legitimate son is going to inherit, and Edmund feels even though he has sort of been accepted by his yeah. father. Um, Their relationship's kind of a weird... Yeah, yeah because... Yeah. yeah, so there's there's a legitimate son who is, you know... And, and sorry, which one of them is Lear's godson? Oh, I forgot about that. Must be Edgar, because I, <laughs> I, I don't think he'd be he a godfather be to a, a, bastard? a bastard. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so so yeah, you've got... <laughs> but it's, it's much less um, uh, theatrical. Mm-hmm. Right? Gloucester yeah. seems like he's he's totally uh they're both being played by their children. Yeah. But I feel so much worse for Gloucester. Yeah, because he it. has no idea. Yeah, he's kind of just he's he doesn't have the wherewithal, he doesn't have the power that Lear has. Yeah. Um and he and he doesn't have the initial wherewithal to manipulate to to try and manipulate his kids into yeah. doing what he wants them to do. He's just being played by Edmund from the beginning. Yeah. And so is Edgar. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, whereas Lear is initially very powerful and he's a very commanding figure, but in that first scene only, really, um, yeah. when he banishes Cordelia and he banishes Kent and he banishes everybody who displeases him has yeah. to leave his sight. Yeah. Um, and then and then it in comes Goneril and Regan with their awful husbands and their yeah. you know plans for world domination. Yeah. So, um, but that's a nice. A nice little contrast, I think, between these two fathers who are dealing with unruly children, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and and the out- the outcome for both of them is is very similar, though. Um, and I think that's they they really are set up on these parallel tracks, yeah. and they, it's it's kind of interesting because usually when you have you know character parallels, you draw a contrast between them. Yeah, but they literally have the exact same things happen to them. They both wind up infirm, and yeah. they need their their children to literally guide them. Like Cordelia picks up her father and yeah. uh, you know revives him after he's gone mad. Gloucester loses his eyes Literally's, and has to be led around yeah, by Edgar. By yeah. Edgar the whole time. I mean, it's, it's, there's no, uh, there's no positive outcome to either of them. They both wind up dying, of course, mm-hmm. um, after they've kind of reconciled been reconciled. Yeah. Reconciled with their children and then they immediately perish. Yeah. And it's, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's a strange thing to reiterate that point again, because Shakespeare would usually have a contrasting one, you mm-hmm. know, maybe because Gloucester, 
didn't manipulate his kids, you would expect him to survive. Right. Um, but he doesn't. It's more like a... Uh, it's why I wrote in the notes, and I was like, it's a contrast slash mirror, because it's... Yeah. It really is just reflecting. It's not reverse... It, well, mirrors reverse things, so never mind. Maybe that's a bad analogy, but... <laughs> no, but... But it's not... Yeah. yeah, you're right. There's no real... Um, There's no redemptive value to these pair of characters going through the same thing. You know, it, yeah. there's there's no moral statement about any of it. It really feels like the play is like, these are bad parents in their own way. Well, and they get punished for it. Yeah, like, I, yeah, their trust they're not, is yeah. in the wrong child, as you yes, said, yeah, right? the wrong child, dad. <laughs> right, yeah. Dewey Cox. Um, <laughs> it's, it's not so much, it's misplaced trust, but I don't know that it's, necessarily it's not evil they're not villains right they're not bad parents in the way that yeah like well uh claudius right the 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 worst father of all time (laughs) yeah father uncle father uncle yes buster buster yeah we're we're sliding Um, them all in here yeah but uh yeah yeah that is interesting because it's not really you're right it's not really um it, it shakespeare would have set that up in a different way so we, that that brings me back to what i said earlier that there must have been a reason for that if especially in the source material where i'm i'm sure there is no gloucester character no that whole plot line was added yeah. <laughs> was added yeah. um because there was no gloucester in the 8th century well there was no albany or yeah, cornwall exactly. either yeah there were no dudes uh, none yeah. of that was there yeah. but um to have lear die was a choice mm-hmm. and to have Gloucester die was a choice it's almost like Shakespeare's doing this on purpose to to call attention to the fact that you know what's the quote about serpent's tooth how thankless it is or a thankless child what yeah the it's hell? like a serpent's tooth or yeah, whatever. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. It's I mean that's display. that's yeah. <laughs> we both read it I swear to god yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but it's like that that is the point right mm-hmm. that's the thing that we're supposed to latch on to there is no contrast it's really just yeah. look at these two dads who have gone out on a limb for the wrong kid and now they have to pay the price for it yeah you know and and yeah. you know kenneth Branagh in all is true would say well you know he went all out for Susanna instead of yeah. Shakespeare. Went all out for Susanna. It was really Hamnet. He wanted to hold up. But the wrong kid died. Yeah. Right? Like, you could read into this so much. Yes. I don't yeah. want to do that. But it is it is kind of interesting to think about the reasons why Shakespeare would change the play. Yeah. Because the it, source material it to definitely, do this. Yeah. It, it does turn it into a straight tragedy. It does. And there's, there's no um, hint of reclamation by any of the characters at the end like there's there's no time for it even even in, even in hamlet you have fortinbras arriving and right and you have that a promise of a future yeah that will be... yeah denmark will be restored into some yeah. respect um do you really get the sense of that i don't even remember who i think actually i read this in on uh, wikipedia when i was doing a quick bit of research right beforehand uh in the folio and the cordo there's different characters who say they're going to take mm. over one is albany and right. the other one is uh edgar depending okay. on which text. So it's not even clear who's going to be taking over right. in the in the future, who's going to be the king of Do you of really England. want Albany taking over? Well, I mean, he stuck up for Lear at the end a little bit, I guess. I, I don't know. Like, it, it again, there's... It would make sense for Edgar as the, if Edgar is the yeah. godson to be the one that... And, and Edgar's the one kind of good guy yeah, yeah. In, in the play. But yeah, you're right. There's, there's, there is no redemption, and the redemption that does come is hollow because Cordelia dies... Lear doesn't really like Cordelia mm-hmm. dies before Lear does, yeah. um, so that that um, reconciliation happens yeah. 
so late in their yes. relationship that it can't really affect anything. Yes. Um, all of the things that Lear realizes about his treatment of the poor, for example, right, is mm-hmm. reconciled too late for him to do anything yeah, about it. Like anything. everything he realizes is too late. It's yeah. it's a very regretful play on yeah. that side. Yeah. Maybe less so for Gloucester because he just there's a lot of more like. I don't want to say, woe is me, but, you know, just wandering about the moor with my eyes plucked out, right? Yeah. Um, and he doesn't even really know that Edgar is his yeah, son. Yeah, his son is right there until so, the very end, which happens off, off stage. Yeah. You don't even see their, their reconciliation. Their reconciliation, exactly. So, so it's like yeah. they're, the the highlight in in most other Shakespearean plays, and especially the ones that are coming up when we, when we talk about, like, Cymbeline and Winter's Tale mm-hmm. and The Tempest, where there's more um, hopeful endings, I mm-hmm. guess. Um, you get that sense that these characters have grown and come to some realization that will then affect the rest of their lives. Here, their lives are done by yeah. the time they hit those those moments. So there is no, yeah, there's no moral, there's no lesson. These I characters mean, have learned something, but it's not going to change their lives because their lives are done. Yeah. So I, is it supposed to be for us? Well, that's, right? yeah, that's the real question. Is, is it for the audience instead? Yeah. Is the audience supposed to look at them and say, oh, shit, I should go make sure I have the Maybe right go kid. call my dad. <laughs> No, I yeah, don't know. Sure. No, I mean, I think that's a legit point is mm-hmm. is the play does have that weighty field given like just the, the stage presence of Lear yeah. and how crazy he goes and how scared he is when he meets Cordelia again and right. how he can't face her yeah. because it's facing all of his past mistakes. Yeah. There is a really strong pathos there that, that, that makes you think, yes, this is going to be a reclamation. When it doesn't happen, it's kind of like a reverse catharsis. It's like... right. Oh shit! That 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 didn't some, that didn't release anything. As you wrote in the notes, some some mistakes can't be unfucked. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? Like yes. it's it's true, and and that's something that Shakespeare plays with a lot here. And that mm-hmm. that you face al- almost all of the mistakes that happen are irreversible. Yeah. And even if they try, in the case of Edmund, who is I'm going to argue the only repentant villain in all of Shakespeare. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Even when he tries to unfuck his mistake, it's. It's yeah, too it's late too for late. him. Yeah, yeah. Like that, There's it no doesn't way. happen. Yeah. So yeah, sometimes it's it is it does feel very much like a warning to the audience, to mm-hmm. someone that you need to be truthful with what you're saying, and you need to be honest, and you need to do the right thing because some mistakes can't be undone. It does feel like that. It's like true. A, a, that might be the the moral. Bad children and. Don't make mistakes. Yeah. That's, that's King Lear in a nutshell. <laughs> nothing will come of nothing. So let's talk about Edgar and Cordelia, the two good children. Yeah. Right? Yeah. They're, um, they're the obvious parallels, uh, similar to Lear and, and Gloucester. And, and they are, um, I would say you get you do get a lot more of Edgar, obviously. Cordelia is kind of a, a weird presence because she's there early on and you realize she's going to be important. Then she disappears for most of the play. Um, heads off to France, goes yeah. and gets married, and Get, then gets her army. And yes, she invades, and and she does you know play an important part mm-hmm. in the plot. But she's not a really strong character. In fact, Mm-mm. her whole and en- her entirety of why we like her and trust her is her asides right before she does not proclaim her love for her father. Yeah, and it's like she really it's, she yeah. really is like she's just there as a contrast to the pure evil that is yes. Regan and Goneril, yeah. right? Yeah. Like. It's almost a character who's painted in absentia because you've got mm-hmm. Regan and Goneril who are not favored by their father but are favored by their father mm-hmm. in the gifts he's bestowed them yes. that they're unworthy of receiving. Yeah. And um, 
just in that contrast, you can see their actions and their like the play implies yeah. that Cordelia would not it's have the done those of things, all these things yes. without painting her at all. Yes, we get a sense of her character. Yeah. She's she's almost Desdemona like in her purity and yeah. and everything, but without having any any agency at all, yeah. except in that first scene yeah. where she makes a choice to. Well, and she Not does choose to go. Father. Yeah, and she does choose to marry France still, and and everything. So I mean, there's yeah. there's still, yeah, it, her character is just so thin. And then on the other hand, though, you have Edgar, which I think is also because it is such a strong parallel. Yeah. You are supposed to kind of draw. Yes. that Edgar or Cordelia is the the female. The Edgar, Edgar of the Lear line. Yes. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> and and so Edgar really is this mm-hmm. this super dedicated uh, character to Lear. To his father, to order um, and order. justice, yes. and all the good things. Yeah. He's probably the only good character that you really, really root for. Yeah, besides the fool, who's awesome. But yeah, yeah. Um, so like, there's yeah. So these these two are, are really set up as mm-hmm. kind of like a joint character almost, and they they are kind of interesting. But um, Edgar really kind of like because he falls for Edmund's tricks so early on yeah. and stuff, and then he pretends to be crazy. And then he's pretending to be poor a poor Tom. Tom and stuff. Like, it's, again, you don't really get much of his character either, actually. Like, beyond his dedication to, you know, the filial yeah. piety of his... And that and that's what I mean when I say that these aren't historical characters. These are allegorical characters, yeah, right? Like, yeah. he really is a stand-in for, like, the virtue of the good son or whatever, right? Like, this is the one who should be inheriting everything because he... Look at him. He is, he is so... Whatever. List yeah. your positive characteristics yeah, here yeah, right yeah. so um That's he's fair. kind of that stand-in character but but arguably he's not he's not he's more fleshed out than that i think he definitely yeah. has wants and needs and and desires for um for things and and shows his allegiance and that's you know that goes beyond just purely pure allegory right like he's yeah. not just a yeah. stand-in well I'm no not and, saying i mean that, and and he does like he questions the poverty and, and stuff. And of he course, is playing yeah. poor Tom and stuff. There are, there are elements to that as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. If I mean, Lear and Gloucester are the boomers, he's like the, the woke millennial grandchild yeah. who's like, yeah, but did you think about this? <laughs> we are the 1%, right? No, maybe. Sure. I'm really sure, reaching so. for it. Ever since you I can. said that in our last episode about how this is the play that is going to be the big one for this generation, <laughs> dealing with our boomer parents, our aging boomer I mean, parents and grandparents. He's there. You can't lie. I mean, no. he definitely does. Uh, he definitely plays an important role in what you think is going to be the reclamation of life. Yeah. And, and that's what that's what makes Edgar interesting is that you you kind of go along with him. He kills his brother in the duel mm-hmm. um, and he sets everything right. Basically, he comes in and, and confronts them to stop yeah. uh, Lear's hanging and everything. Um, or Cordelia's hanging and everything. Uh, they And then it just doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. So... Again, you you have a sense of him being this important character that He's winds up not playing his role. Importantly impotent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way of putting yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, speaking of impotence, no, that's that's a terrible segue, but we're going to go with it anyways. Are you uh, talking the, about the fool? The fool. Why is he impotent? I don't know. Did I miss the, a plot there, point? No, here? there was no. I was just, he would have probably made an impotence joke at some oh. point or another. Um, but uh, yeah, the fool is, is an interesting fool, mm. I would say. Um, he's. 
Yeah, what did my, I say in the notes? Probably the most jesters do oft prove prophets <laughs> on the nose type of fool in Shakespeare's Is that not play. a quote from this that's play? A, that's also a quote from this play. Um, because he really is just there to, to offer like political commentary yeah. and to tell Lear how stupid he is. Right. And he gets away with it because he's... He's the fool. Rhyming and joking and stuff along yeah. the way. Um, but he, he really does. He almost acts as like Lear's conscience. Yeah. Um, and he's literally the only one with him when Lear's going, starting to go really mm-hmm. crazy and stuff. So you, you get him as like this second Lear almost. Oh, it's like okay. a, an introspective Lear that, that you don't get from the brash, kingly, I'm going to divide my lands thusly right. and keep my hundred retainers Lear. You have like an, you give, it gives him like an inner monologue. Um, that's, that's a little his. snarky. That's yeah. a little, you know. Yeah, and and okay. is aware Critical. of of how dumb he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it, yeah. It, it's this nice thing because uh, the the otherwise the leer we get is just this brash and, and yeah, yeah, yeah. And he when he's told he can't have what he wants, he he's just a throws a hissy fit. Yeah, China shot. yeah. And he just yeah. goes he goes uh, a little hammy. So um, yeah, the, the fool's interesting that way. He's not. I find him the least funny of all the yeah, fools. Yeah, I was going to say, when you, when you have a character like the Fool, and it has been a long time since I read Lear, so I was expecting a lot more. When, anytime you have a Fool, it's like, oh, well, that's where the comedy is going to be. The only time I laughed out loud was, I don't even remember what the line was, and it wasn't the Fool who said <laughs> it. And it's like the part where, where somebody is... Uh, I think is it is it Edgar who's going on about how bad poor Tom is, and somebody's like, "Are you friends with this guy?" Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, That's like right, this yeah, is yeah. this is the guy you hang out with, like. <laughs> and it wasn't the fool. I'm sure it wasn't the fool. No, it yeah, yeah, I don't remember who it was. Doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> I think it was Gloucester when he was blind already. He was hearing this guy, and he's like, "Who? Are you? Do you have no? Oh no, it was Kent." Yeah, I remember. Yes, yes, yeah, so it was Kent yeah, saying yeah, like, yeah. "Can you find no better friends, King?" Right, like, right, yeah. yeah. But yeah, so the fool is not a funny character, but he does serve an important purpose, and I think that um, you're right. It's kind of like Lear's conscience or Lear's uh, like a like a split personality almost. Yeah. Or something. Like, yeah. I mean, you know? I I could see a, a version of Lear where there is no physical fool. Right. He literally just exists oh my in God. Lear's head. Like like the actor is there, but it's yeah. just a figment of of Lear's imagination. Yeah. That he, would he be does, genius. He does disappear at the end. Definitely. Like, um, he doesn't. He's not there for Lear's death. Yeah. Uh, he wasn't the ran in the 85 right. kurosawa version but right. um yeah he's not there in the final act so oh that would be really cool you could really do it that way for you sure. totally could yeah Aiden, i'm we sure should start has. a shakespeare company and just just for that that is a terrible idea <laughs> probably <laughs> um but uh speaking of unfunny characters uh edmund Lindsay, you you did mention uh yeah one of the more redeemable i don't want to re- say he's redeemable but he's repentant i don't think yeah. there I, I as i was and this was a comment that I read somewhere online doing some research um, that he was, because he repents, it makes him unique. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I was trying to think for myself, like, are there any other villains who repent? Um, Aaron the Moor confesses, which is not the same yeah. thing, but I got I got similar vibes from both. Like, mm-hmm. that's Titus Andronicus is, you know, 10 yeah. years earlier yeah. at this point or more. But, but you have... Um, at the end where he realizes the wrong that he's done and tries to make it right and obviously can't succeed. So it does mark him off as a little bit different. And he's also more understandable. It's not like he's, Mm -hmm. he's not Goneril and Regan who are just evil because why, why are Goneril and Regan so evil? Yeah. Like they, they're not, 
I mean, we're going to talk about... Maybe we should just talk about all of them together. Yeah, because, no, it's true. The because really, Goneril and Regan are not... Inter- they're interchangeable. They're not separate enough to yeah. really matter. Yeah. Um, which is an interesting choice. They are kind of the central villains in that side of the sub... Yeah. Or that side of the plot. Yeah. Um, whereas Edmund, you get the sense that his... It's almost like Cordelia, Goneril, and Regan even though they are more main characters, aren't fleshed out at all mm-hmm. because Edgar and Edmund are. Like you yes, said, yeah. Edgar being painted, um, and, and that allows us to see how Cordelia is. But it's almost the opposite with Edmund and Goneril and Regan because I don't think that Goneril and Regan are looking for their father's approval. They're not looking no, for no. happiness with their like they're not looking for no, love. Th- their their motivation is entirely you know economic. Basically, they want the power. Yeah, and, that's and all it wealth. is. Because they'll follow yeah. whoever they they end up following Edmund when yeah. it becomes clear that he might be the mo- like they're just power hungry, yeah. right? But Edmund at least has this, I think, a drive for he wants his father's love. He wants the love that he sees other people have. Yeah. And and at the end, his repentance comes when he understands the love that Lear has for Cordelia, that he will never have mm-hmm. from his own father. Yeah. And that almost makes him sympathetic. Almost. I don't want to yeah. say he's a sympathetic villain, but it almost turns him into a sympathetic villain. Yeah, and I, I think, again, it's it's in the face of Edgar and everything Edgar represents, you know, all the positive yeah. qualities of the the time period yeah. that, that Edgar's there pushing up for the audience. It, yeah, the repentance is important, yeah. I think, for Edmund in order to uh, give vindication to that, th- that those positive values mm-hmm. that, that Edgar is representing. Because otherwise, everybody is just pure evil and dies, and, and yeah. there's, no, there's nothing redeeming uh, yeah. in the play. But you're right, I think uh, Edmund, the fact that he does at least try to... Um, Make it right? Yeah, is, is definitely... It's definitely, uh, it's not what I expected. I, I'd forgotten that happened. Yeah, yeah, when yeah. I read the play, I'm going like, oh, wow, he's really yeah, actually Yeah, I thought trying. Edmund, yeah. I, I remembered Edmund being more villain-like. Yeah. I remembered him being like Goneril and Regan, just mm-hmm. villain, straight up villain, the yeah. bastard, right? Yeah. But there's, it, it does complicate things, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, interestingly enough as well, I, I always thought it was funny that, and I think Goneril is the oldest, right? Mm-hmm. And then Regan and then Cordelia. Yeah. But that Cordelia being the youngest was the favorite. There's no, like, um, uh, uh, primogeniture rule that yeah. Lear has to follow no. when it comes to divvying up his kingdom and you could argue that that's because it predates any rules like that but usually in in a lot of these societies and, and especially with uh, Shakespeare writing at this time period it would have made sense to throw that in there that the eldest daughter would get more land yeah. than the youngest daughter but it doesn't seem like that it's it's maybe the failing of on the parents part to play favorites with their kids which is what Closter and and Lear both do. Mm-hmm. Um, but you've got Edmund, who is the eldest son, but he's a bastard. Uh, so the the whole primogeniture argument goes mm-hmm. out the window. He doesn't deserve any of that because he's not legitimate. Yeah. And there's there's a questioning there of the fairness of that, of the justness yeah. of yeah. of that situation exactly. or that rule yeah, which mean, applies to Gloucester's kids but not Lear's kids which exactly, is yeah. interesting no it is I mean maybe I think, because they're girls I don't know well I mean that's the other the, the gendered aspect of it is, is interesting because mm-hmm. again we've pointed out 
none of the girls are really characters. Mm-hmm. They they really are just either forces of good or evil yeah. um, that are almost like elemental. Like they're just yeah, there yeah, and yeah. they exist and they, they do things to the men. Yeah. But the men are the ones who react and respond and become Yeah, Albany and Cornwall and are the ones that kind of take action, even though Regan yeah. and Goneril are the... The ones start stirring the pot, really, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, yeah they're not f- powerful like Lady Macbeth stirring the pot, but... No. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, and then it, to, to connect that back to... Uh, Edmund, mm-hmm. um, again, he also gets that that characterization that the the ladies lack in terms yeah. of that connection to his father and right. to uh, wanting and deserving something but being denied it by yeah. the 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 justness yes. of the the world that he exists in, quote unquote. Yeah, justness. which is represented by Edgar again. So again, it is a contrast with with the the two brothers there. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, to talk a little bit more about Goneril and Regan, um, the fact that there's two of them, I think, also uh, plays into some interesting dynamics in the sense that there's a bit of sibling rivalry. I think that's set up right from the beginning. They're trying to outdo one another in the very, very first scene, right? Mm-hmm. Who loves their father more? Um, and anybody who has brothers or sisters, you know, can understand mm-hmm. the... the um, well, how awful it would be for a parent to actually say that to their kids, but <laughs> yes. then on top of that, the, the the thoughts that go on in the back of your mind when you feel that you're not your parents' favorite, um, Goneril and Regan must, to some extent, feel that yeah. in their relationship with their father. So there's some vindictiveness when they mm-hmm. when they do dismiss his retainers and when they do treat him so poorly. I mean, Lear kind of arrogantly assumes that he can, as I said in my intro, have his cake and eat it too. I can give up my land, I can give up all my responsibility, but I can still tromp around the kingdom like I'm the king um kind of uh it it that's a separate issue right the mm-hmm. the kids are also like Goneril and Regan are also just out for blood at this point right um yeah. that really highlights why they were the the bad kids yeah, right yeah, like yeah yeah no wonder your dad hated you <laughs> right like yeah. or like Cordelia more yeah right um, but the fact that there's two of them, and yet they they still don't have much characterization, is, no. is that is an interesting thing to think about. That these are, um, and we might have mentioned it in our Women of Shakespeare podcast mm-hmm. episode, where I think one of us probably we brought up Regan and Goneril as like these evil presences. But you're right; they're more elemental than they are characters. They're yeah. not really characterized. No, they're just straight up evil. And and Shakespeare is pretty good at writing. Female characters, well, yeah. to an extent, he ha- he yeah, he has the ability for sure. We've seen so it. he chooses again, chooses not to do that here. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm I'm okay. I take it back. I am gonna do it. I'm gonna autobiographize this and yeah. say he just got into a fight with Susanna and he decided <laughs> to write Lear to get back at her because he's like that ungrateful child. And I'm gonna paint these three women that are evil to their father. Change the ending of this play. I just, I just can't, I, I just don't know why they're not more, there's potential there for them to be, you know, mm-hmm. a Richard III type well, villain or something, yeah. well, like I mean, scheming, and yeah, I mean, they you don't. Didn't, you didn't need the subplot. You know, if you get rid of Edgar, Edmund, and Gloucester, yeah. then you can focus more on these three children. Right. And he chose not to do that. Yeah. Um, and to an extent, you can understand why. Um, really? I don't, what do you mean? Well, I mean, because it's... It's nice to have those parallels if you're going to use them for something. He never did. Yeah, so but you can draw can, them between yeah. the, the sisters too, okay. right? So I mean, yeah, it was it was definitely a choice. I yeah, I mean, they, I'm struggling with that. Yeah, it's it's, it's kind of it's. I'm not 
frustrated with it, but I just, I feel like I want more from it. And I, I just, I'm going to criticize Shakespeare and say there was wasted potential, but... I, I feel it like feels he got like he wrote the exact play he wanted. Like yeah. this is exactly what he was designing it to do. It just feels like the play that he he wants to write Gloucester, Edmund, and Eicher, and Lear is like the vehicle for that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. To like an the extent. carrier oil for the essential oil. It's the coconut oil that you add to the peppermint oil but, but so the, that you can put it on your skin. But at the end, it all it all does wind up back with, yeah, with I know. Lear. I mean, I, that that's I know. Lear is such a central character, and he is the most strongest. Wow, that was a terrible use of words right there. Uh, <laughs> he is the most strongest uh, written character in this play by far, in yeah. terms of having yeah. the depth of facing his his mortality, poor choices, his mortality, his, his sanity. sanity. Yes, uh, there's there's a lot that he has to face up with, mm-hmm. and you see you go through it with him. Mm-hmm. And in that respect, that's the most interesting part of the play. Um, but then all these other lines that are connected and parallel and intersecting with that story of Lear um, kind of wind up taking away from it in my mind. And that, yeah. that, that's what's confusing is like if you had focused on the four family members yeah. and you gave them all the depth that you need to tell right. this story about Lear, um, you know, why not have it be about Cordelia or uh, Goneril convincing Albany or whoever she marries. I don't even remember which one it is. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, well, having their relationship <laughs> yeah. take on some of those parallels. Like, yeah, because then it can maybe be... Maybe they have a daughter uh, or a child or exactly. something, and you can do it that way, right? But he, he didn't want to do that. He wanted to uh, have the same story told twice yeah. with two sets of kids. And, and basically the same outcome. Yeah. 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 So but, I, and, yeah. I mean, uh, maybe it's because, you know, uh, Macbeth is coming up. <laughs> he knew he was going to be writing that kind of play later yeah. with a with a strong female character or yeah. like as you've written here um you were reading from wikipedia that there's some criticism of of james's court and yeah, sycophantic yeah. courtiers and so maybe there, there's like political critique that he was trying to slide yeah. in there more than anything else like there the motive for writing what he wrote is is what's it's always going to be shady of yeah. course but yeah. it's 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 interesting yeah, to, to look to, at, to look right? At for to sure. try yeah. and and we're never going to figure it out, but it's it's kind of fun to piece it out and, um, yeah, f- a little bit frustrating too. Mm-hmm. You horse and cow, no, no. thou stool for a witch. I do, do thou sudden witted lord. Thou hast no more brain than a hundred man And uh, one last thing before we get into some of the themes here, Lens. Uh, talking about cordelia's death Mm -hmm. uh again it was it was not it didn't exist in the source material and for a long time uh productions of shakespeare would cut it out they changed the ending so that cordelia survived not that they went back to an original version i think they just cut out the last scene or something yeah they just dropped the line where where he says yeah she's dead or whatever right um and yeah like well into the 1800s i think yeah yeah this was a very common uh use of or 18th century maybe no, I think it was the 1800s. Was it really? Yeah, I think even in Victorian times. It was a depressing play. Well, it is. I mean, it is. Yeah. A it really is a depressing play, play but so. it was too depressing for the <laughs> Restoration yeah. Theater. And you, you can totally yeah. see why. Um, but I think I feel like it's it's really key to the play to to have that kind of mm-hmm. amoral. Uh, you know, you're stuck with the choices that you make. Yeah, kind yeah. of reading. Um, when you get rid of that, it does make the play happier. But, but it's hollow. It well. 
I don't know if it's hollow so much as I feel like that could still work. That could be a really interesting play. Um, but it, the way he set it up and the way he's written it and the way everything, all the other characters' lives are leading towards this point is that everybody dies. Mm-hmm. And you really can't, like I said, unfuck it, you know? Um, well, there has to so, be some consequences for Yeah, it, exactly. Right? Yeah, and, and you kind of have to, like, wonder, like, what, um, what would Lear get out of having Cordelia stayed it, like even when they do reconnect in the actual text yeah um you can't really tell how much he actually is going to be able to connect with her because mm-hmm. he's still you know is he still gonna want go back to wanting his hundred retainers right and or does he want to go back to being king like yeah there, there's really no sense of him having made the amends with right. what caused his problem yeah um I feel sorry for myself. I'm going to wander about for a while. Oh, my other daughter. I guess everything's fine now. Yeah, yeah. Like, like no. The, like, there's, it feels like it's just another delusion in the yeah. making, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that he, he thinks he'll just be A-OK. And we yeah. never get to test that because no. everybody dies. Yeah. So okay. you kind of avoid that. And he ha- he can avoid uh, facing that, that right. potential reality, right? Right. Um, and I feel like that's what the play has to do. It has to build towards that because... It, the the leer that's built up and shows up is not ready to face those actual truths. I feel mm-hmm. like he's ready to wallow in them mm-hmm. and he's ready to feel happy with Cordelia for a little while. Mm-hmm. But is he really going to change? Yeah. Um, he's still an old man who's bent on his ways. And the, yeah, the fact and that they took away his, his nights was enough to make him go crazy. And yeah. like he was not really... All, all, all there all, to begin well, with. Well, maybe not all or there. Or at least his... his um, he, he doesn't have the fortitude yeah. that I think he thinks he does. And I don't think that that's well, going to change. Well, I think he probably did when he had the crown behind him. But once he's yeah. given that up, and yeah. like the, the idea of, of um, his power having been taken away from him having been given away by him, mm-hmm. right? Yes, it was He a brought that yeah. on himself, but that's the only thing that was holding him up, mm-hmm. right? It was, and it's almost like once he's given that away, he doesn't have anything. He wasn't, a, he's certainly not a strong man. He's not somebody who, and I'm not saying that to say that somebody who who has mental illness is not strong, no, but, no, yeah. but he doesn't have, you're right, the the fortitude or the, the moral compass, the internal thing yeah. that's going to point him in the right direction. He fell back on, he got what he wanted because he was king. And, and then he was flattered into giving it away. Exactly. And that's all it took. And yeah. yeah. And, then, and, yeah. and so he, once that happens, he has nothing. Right? Yeah. yeah. So, um, and I think the other thing that we've missed a little bit here in talking about Cordelia that I wanted to bring up, and one of the reasons why... I, I feel complicated about Cordelia. Not really, but I, f- I think she makes the first mistake in the play by not flattering yes, Lear. Yes, And that's, um, it's not a mistake that she deserves to be killed for. No. <laughs> but it's still a mistake in not recognizing, um, she's just not as cunning as her sisters, mm. which is not a, not a failing, but... I mean, yeah. if you've grown up with a father who is this vain, yeah, yeah. you tell him what he wants to hear and then you go back to your room and you listen to the Smiths. Like, <laughs> that's just what you do. You yeah. don't you don't argue, mm-hmm. right? You just give him what he wants. Yeah. And so that's where she doesn't live up to. Like, she's not Desdemona in that sense. I compared her to Desdemona earlier because she's painted as this virtuous character. But she doesn't have... 
she's almost I think that's almost like Edgar in like the the mirror image of Edgar who is kind of blinded by his loyalty to yes. his bastard brother yeah. that he doesn't see the mistake that he's making in trusting him yeah. Cordelia is blinded by her own pride I guess and she well, won't deign to talk get, to her father in a or, way that he wants her to or blinded more by her sense of justice which is she thinks a king should have Right? She thinks if she tells the truth and she's honest and she's upfront, that the king will recognize that and realize that it's a or good thing. Or she's a typical youngest child and she just thinks, well, I can say whatever I want and get away with it. Kate, I'm not child. saying that Jesus. as the goneril of my family, yeah. but maybe a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, but no, I, I, I just think to that. Yeah. So, so maybe the ending is I feel like, you know, if we want to talk about which characters got their just desserts, um, does Lear deserve the ending that he got? I don't know. Does Cordelia? Definitely not. So it almost yeah. feels like the ending, the choice to have Cordelia die at the end, amps up that tragedy even more. Because for a, a playwright working in um, uh, a mode that demands a certain kind of equality, not equality, but it, like it has to the ends justify the means almost. There has to be an equal and opposite reaction almost, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. This play is so lopsided that it it makes that ending more realistic because this is how things actually work. This is not fortune, yeah. lady fortune, like yeah. giving you what you deserve. This yeah. is the world fucking you over yeah. because that's what reality is, yeah. right? There is no equal and opposite reaction because if that were the case then cordelia would just be lied to and everything would be fine yeah yeah right but instead she dies yeah for making the mistake of being a little bit prideful and too honest yeah. right yeah and that that i think feeds into the unjustness of the ending mm-hmm. right and it's tragic because she did nothing to deserve it and had no way of getting out of it yeah. And that makes it, it's, it's. Yeah. It right? does make her, yeah. But of yeah. course the, the, it's the tragedy of King Lear. So it's how her death affects her father. Yeah. Is, yeah. Is it's how, really, you know, yeah, yeah, but, but fine. still it's, it's, yeah, she, she does end up playing that kind of interesting role, I guess, in the end. Why then the world's mine oyster, which I with sword will open. So we'll touch quickly on a few of the major themes. I think we've, we really have already. Mm-hmm. Um, but a, a major one is kind of this justice or... Um, Lack of justice. Yeah, or, or like it's almost like justice and, and order are yeah. kind of connected mm-hmm. um, because you have like the chaotic elements of uh, Regan, Goneril, and uh, Ed, Edmund. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. remember which one. Um, and they, they really do kind of... Um, just throw things into chaos and mm-hmm. they, they offer no justice because they, they can't even stay true to themselves and their husbands. Yeah. And everything. or their own They're, aims really. Yeah. Yeah. They literally will just go in bed with whatever will get them what they want immediately. Like yeah. they have no long-term plan yeah. or, or goals or anything. It's literally yeah. just like, Oh, well my sister wrote me a letter saying you were being, your nights were being boisterous. So I'm not going to let you in. Like there's no plan to no. gradually diminish Lear down to a broken man. It no, just they're, they're not that super way. villains. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like that, yeah. So that's that's what makes it hard to call them yeah truly evil characters <laughs> it's true because it's almost like they they just Looped trip into, into it, it. Yeah, yeah exactly yeah so i mean th- there's there's really a, a lack of um justice only in the sense that there's a lack of order 
yeah. um, within from these kind of trio well, of, of and it, villains. And it starts from the beginning because the order existed when Lear was king, but once yes. he fractures his kingdom, everything falls apart. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's almost a comment on on I mean it it, it reinforces the idea that a strong king, even if he's not a just king, even if he's not a moral king, is better than three daughters who, you know, can't agree on whether the sun is shining. Yeah. Yeah. Not, right? Like I mean yeah. it's and they're they're evil husbands and the whatever this, that and the other thing. Um so having Lear in place would have would have allowed order to continue and it wouldn't have devolved into this chaos, but I, I don't know. Would I argue that that's the better option? Probably not. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, the play definitely questions it. I think it's 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 always asking the question of like, um, would it be better to have a a, a, a king mm-hmm. who can impose order but doesn't want to and really is getting too old for the job anyways? Yeah. Or or this chaos that that's ensued from it. Yeah. Um, and. I think well. I think the play kind of comes down pretty hard on Lear not maintaining his role as king, um, but at the same time, uh, you know he's wandering the heath and he's facing the storm and he's like, yeah, okay, I can't do anything. I can't order the storm back. He yeah. has that. He has the court scene also in, in yeah. the chaos and it's like he's decreeing justice, um, and but because he's been whittled down to. He's not the king anymore because yeah. he's given up his kingship. Yeah. Um, there's he, no authority. There's no authority. There's yeah. no, and there's no possibility for justice there. So yeah. it really does come down pretty hard on him for for giving that up. It seems to, yeah. Yeah, like he's he said, punished for giving up what yeah. would have. Because there's he 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 does come to growth. Like there is, no, whether it's lasting growth or not yeah. is debatable. Yeah. But, but he does recognize I was wrong to do this to Cordelia. I was wrong to do this to the poor. I was wrong to do all these things. But... The conveniently, he doesn't actually have to answer for any of that because mm-hmm. he's never going to get the chance to make it right. Yeah. And so, yeah, it, it does come down to what what is, what is the the point of that? Who is that for? Mm-hmm. Um, that we talked about earlier. So, is it a warning for us to to make good while you can? Because there will come a time when you don't have that option anymore, and you just kind of have to live with it. Um, which is something that Lear doesn't do. He doesn't have to live with the consequences of his decisions for very long, yeah. right? Yeah, so that's true. Um, there's also the uh, the theme of of um, reconciliation of of yep. bringing together uh, disparate elements that yes. that yeah. were uh, like Cordelia and Lear, right? You know, put asunder um, through the pride of one towards the other, and uh, or whatever, and. Uh, and whether or not that um, it, it doesn't come for any of this we mentioned it doesn't come for any of those characters so I guess it comes back to that whole can you unfuck your greatest mistakes mm-hmm. um, none of those characters can yeah. in this play it's like a so, hollow reconciliation it's like it's it's reconciliation in form but yeah, not in but meaning. not in meaning yeah because they don't really they can't reconcile because they die yeah and especially in the case of Edgar and, and Gloucester, it's it's a reconciliation that we don't even see. So it, yeah. it's literally the most hollow form. It's it's telling, not showing. It's, yep. it's oh, yeah, we reconciled. And then he died. And it's yeah. like, okay, well, do you want to unpack that a little bit? No, we're just going to continue on. And here's Lear. You know, like, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's, it's a bizarre, 
like mockery of reconciliation really mm-hmm. um and it, it it works well in this play because the characters are kind of mockeries of the forces that they represent to an extent you know like Lear is yeah. Lear is not a king who's a king uh Cordelia is not a daughter who's banished and called not a daughter you know like they, yeah. they're kind of pushed out of these roles so that they can't really ever reconnect as father and daughter yeah or as king and queen eventually you know yeah so there's there's just a, there's a really weird vibe to that whole idea of reconciliation life but a walking shadow a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more it is a tale told by an idiot it's full of sound and fury signifying nothing um and then the last theme that we kind of want to talk about is is one that um i wanted to talk about because it's interesting that that shakespeare as a writer is questioning the power of language in mm-hmm. the play there's a lot of talk about um the suitability of speech and words to convey messages to convey meaning accurately and this is something we've mentioned many times before on the podcast that um, Shakespeare uh, seems to be preoccupied with his own abilities as a writer to accurately convey the things he wishes to convey um, and and also preoccupied with the um, uh, the unsuitability of of language to do what he wants it to do. Mm-hmm. He's limited by by language, um, which is why he invents words to yeah. tell what he what he wants yep. uh, or to do what he wants it to do. Um, so you've got characters in the play questioning that, right? And and people saying one thing and then turning around and doing the exact opposite. I was really struck by that in the scene where Edmund and Edgar. Uh, where Edmund says, oh, you've displeased father. Here's this letter, you know, like he thinks that, right, like that you've betrayed him. And then he produces a letter that's like everything about that is totally false. And he is so two-faced about it. Like Edgar is barely out of the room and he's like stabbing himself to like make it look that like Edgar Edgar didn't. And and Gloucester just believes it, right? Mm -hmm. And it's whole cloth invention. It's, It's completely invented by Edmund. But, but... Gloucester doesn't question at all mm-hmm. that his son, like he turns on such a dime, right? He believing that his legitimate heir, his son, is without confronting about it, yeah, or anything, without saying like, anything. There's and that that's that's the really interesting part is is what's said and what's not said. Yeah, uh, going back to the the key root of this all starts with Goneril, Regan, and Cordelia yeah, all exactly. having yeah, to yeah, speak yeah. to their father. Yes, and. The two who lie out of their teeth yeah. do great, and the one who tells said, the truth. Well, but she doesn't. She she yeah because she basically says I can't. Yeah, there there there's is no, no there's no words way for me, for me to, me to do, do that. Yeah, that's that's the other thing. She won't even flatter him with fake words. She's like I can't. I don't even have the words to say it. She's yeah. not saying I don't love you. Yeah. she's saying nothing I say Could will possibly. ever reach yeah. the love that. Why does he get mad at that? Like, that's what I don't understand about this whole play. And I didn't realize that again until I read it. I was like, she's not saying I don't love you. And and that, I think, is an interesting thing, too. Because, like we mentioned, there's these platonic forms that that the play is reaching for with some of these characters. It's almost like Cordelia is also 
reaching for that and can't accurate it's it's the allegory of the cave right yeah, she's yeah. she's only got so much that she can do and, and it's not good enough yeah. um and 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 it tie like it well ties back to edmund and edgar because again the the one who's not saying anything is is assumed to be uh, the silence is assumed to be yeah. guilt, right? Yeah. And 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 sort of evil that the that the father figures have to pursue and, yeah. and push out. Um, and so Lear winds up being this character who is stuck in between um, speech and no speech. He's yeah. he's kind of hazy between having an understanding of where he is, what's going on around him, uh, who he is. Uh, you know, howling he, at the end of the play. Yeah, he's not even yeah. using words anymore. Yeah, like he—he's literally just become uh, a figure or a, a vessel through which words do not operate. Yeah, effectively. Yeah, like he—he's basically become what what uh, Cordelia, sorry, was afraid of. That yeah. this idea that the that she would be unable to speak. Yep. Um, as she she needs, yeah. and then Lear literally can't at the end. So yeah, yeah. there's there's there is an interesting. Uh, combination of factors there and like I don't think it's because it, like maybe maybe there isn't anything to it you know but I just think it's interesting that interesting that a playwright would um, who dabbles this is his bread and butter this is what mm-hmm. it's the vehicle through which the story is being told is through words and and questioning the reliability of those words to do the job yeah. from the very first scene and then having all these instances of people questioning whether or not speech can actually capture the enormity of suffering right or whatever um it's it just seems to be another meta commentary on yeah. the process of writing that um that i always like when well, I, I like it when shakespeare does that it just it it's a little revealing peek into what it's like to be a writer which i stan is that how you use that is that how the kids use it i have no idea no oh, okay double double toil and trouble fire burn and cauldron bubble so for this uh, episode, we watched the Akira Kurosawa 1985 mm-hmm. film adaptation Ran, yes. which transports the story to the Japanese yes, feudal era, yeah, yeah. 1600s yeah. Japan and uh, or 16th century Japan, yeah. um, and changes a few things. I mean, it's all sons; it's not daughters, yeah. and and there's a instead a, of. Yeah, instead of Gloucester and his two sons, yeah. there's the families of the because Lear is more of a warlordy type figure, yeah. and he killed all the people in the surrounding area, and you know left their kids out. He yeah. bl- instead of Gloucester going blind, it's the son of one of the warlords that he killed, yeah. uh, and his other because yeah, he's like replaced the daimyo of the yeah the you know, local area. Yeah, he's like yeah. he's the king. Yeah, yeah, he's the he's the head honcho in the this shogun area. who took over yeah. and yeah. united everybody, and yeah. but really it's a hollow but, unite. Yeah, because every Everyone still hates him, and yeah. so the the parallels wind up being between uh, the the two daughters of, of yes. warlords that he's killed. Yeah. Um, one plots revenge, and one uh, seeks redemption. Yeah, or, or and and is you know very forgiving yeah. and uh, marries into the family again and everything. Yeah. Uh, so there's there's this it's a different different dynamic for yeah. sure, but it's it's a it's a very beautiful movie. Like yeah, it's, it's I it's mean really well filmed. I. Assume every time I watch Kurosawa, I'm like, oh, black and white. Yeah, but it wasn't. <laughs> no. It was in beautiful there was a technicolor. Lot of color, yes. Um, and and I really like that. It was it was a beautifully made film, mm-hmm. like beautifully cinema cinematographically beautiful yeah. film. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in some interesting adaptations that I think work well. This is this is what I love about Shakespeare adaptations is that people from various cultures can take those and adapt them for 
the locale for the cultural traditions. Mm -hmm. So so transplanting a, a, a pre-Christian English yeah. king to uh, the mountain sides of you know 16th Japan, century Japan, yeah. Yeah. Um, and and turning him from a a king to a samurai like a shogun, right? Mm. Is is pretty cool, and yeah. I really like that 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 uh, dynamic. He, I mean, Kurosawa does that a lot with yeah. them. Throne of Blood, uh, yeah, the, and the Magnificent the, Seven. Yeah, Seven Samurai. Seven Samurai. Thank well, he, he Seven Samurai was first. Right, I know, yeah. but I mean, it's just like yeah. it's the way that 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 works so well. You can take those stories and you can play with yeah. them in all these different in all these different areas, and and so Kurosawa is on both sides of this, right? Yes, like yeah. he can adapt it and he can be adapted, yeah. and it just shows the the. Um, the universality. universality. Thank you. High five. High five for that, of uh, of his storytelling. Mm -hmm. I think that he's able to do that, yeah. and uh, and to do it so beautifully in this version. There are other versions of this. Obviously, um, there was a, a newer version. There was yeah. a film version from 2018. I think you said That's with Anthony Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins with it, that has a huge cast too. Emma Thompson's in it. Yeah. A few others that are quite big names. And uh, yeah, that came out in 2018. I think it's on Amazon Prime if you're in the states. Uh, yeah. It doesn't on Canada. Yeah. But yeah, I think it's available there. And then there was a, a um, I don't know if it was a miniseries or if it was just a made-for-TV movie where Patrick Stewart played the uh, Lear character. Yes. Yeah. And it was transplanted to like rural Texas in the eighteen mid eighteen hundreds, oh, okay. um, where he plays the same kind of character. Okay. Yeah, and it it sounded pretty brutal. Um, like frontier justice yeah, kind of thing, okay, which yes, again yeah. is fits, yeah. it fits totally if you yeah. have this like Texas rancher dividing up his land yeah. between his daughters yeah. and and then like this kind of hillbilly yeah. frontier justice that yeah. that gets played out, which is no kind of justice if yeah. you you know Hatfields and McCoy type thing. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. yeah, so um, lots of different versions of the play. Um, again, it's one of the most famous plays that mm -hmm. Shakespeare ever wrote. So there's lots of opportunities for audiobook versions and, and the Royal Shakespeare Company and the BBC production. Like everybody's done this. Everybody's yeah. read it. I'm sure in high school it's still taught, yeah. you know, yeah. at, at upper levels. So, I mean, um, but I think that I, it was a good choice for us to go with the Kurosawa version because, yeah, again, it's just fun to watch those adaptations. Yeah, it's good right? to see what someone else does with it. And Kurosawa's, uh, you know... I think he's a pro. Mm -hmm. I, I think he knows what he's doing. So it was it's it was good to see um how he he drew different parallels for the for yeah. the characters. He didn't he didn't want to have uh the sons and uh two father figures. It was very much yeah. about um legacies more yeah. than anything and, and the legacy of suffering that that uh, his main, his lyre type character. Which makes perfect moments, sense yeah. when you put it into the context of Japan in the 80s and um, the long history of, of um, Japanese society and the honor and whatnot that you would, you know, yep. feel towards. There's no need to hammer it home with multiple different storylines. You can just do it. Yeah. He did in Ran what I wish Shakespeare had done. Yeah, exactly. Play, yeah. Right? In, in some ways, I was I preferred like that. streamlining it to this essential story about legacies and bloodlines and yeah. and honor. Um, it, yeah, it just works really well with the in the context of Japanese society at the time. Um, but it also makes the play a little bit more. It's a little bit easier to follow and easier to understand. Yeah. 
in a way. Yeah, and it it, it, it hits home a little further. Like mm-hmm. I when when the Cordelia type character died yeah. in in Ran, they're yeah. they're on they're on horseback together, and yeah. there's just a stray shot, yep. stray bullet comes and kills his his last son. Yeah. And it's heartbreaking because yeah. like he's just sitting there happy, and then you don't even notice that he's been shot until yep. he kind of slumps off the horse, and yeah. you're like, "Holy shit!" Like that, it comes yeah. out of nowhere and yeah. it hits hard. Even if you expect it, it yeah, still hits. yeah. And yeah. so it was. Whereas when you know Cordelia dies off off stage, and Lear just comes in and laments it, it's yeah, it, carrying it, her body, maybe. Yeah, but it's it's just it lacks a little something. So I, yeah, yeah. Plus the fool was great. Yeah, the fool character in yeah. Curacao was very very colorful and fun. Yeah, yeah. awesome. Yeah. If I longer stay, we shall begin our ancient bickerings. So this episode's ancient bickerings, we are talking about the ending. Still, we're staying on that. Yeah. We're staying on that horse. Uh, Lindsay, the question is, uh, which character got the ending that they deserved the most? Got their just desserts? Got their just desserts out of this injustice of a play. <laughs> I had to tie that together somehow. <laughs> Sorry, that was terrible. Uh, do, do you have someone that comes to mind? Yeah, I do, actually. Okay. Um, I think I could I could argue for a lot of the characters, but I think... Um, I think Edmund gets the, gets the, the uh, ripest mm-hmm. ending. Okay. Um, not that I... Like I said, I don't think he's a sympathetic villain... But I do like the fact that at the end of his life, he repents a little bit and has to die knowing that he he didn't do enough. He, he didn't mm-hmm. get himself out of that. Yeah. And I think that's an appropriate ending for the, the scheming villain that he is, that he doesn't get any consolation at his death. And, and also that he doesn't die with the arrogance of you know, Aaron or, um, yeah, and literally any other, of, any of the villains, you know, Richard yeah. III even yeah. who, yeah. you know, um, yes, dreams up all of these things and maybe feels a little bit bad, but then just busts out Barrels like my kingdom it. for yeah. a horse, yeah. you know, I, it's, uh, there's an arrogance there that, that, um, yeah, Edmund doesn't would have, Edmund doesn't yeah. have that. And I'm glad he doesn't have that. I'm glad that he kind of is, is brought down several pegs by the end and then has to die in disgrace. Right. Yeah. But it's a, it's an internal disgrace. It's a, a disgrace that, that speaks to the core of what he wants. And that's where it almost gets to that sympathetic point. Right. Because he, he realizes, I think the whole, his whole arc is about getting what he doesn't have but it's not about getting power necessarily. It's it's really something much more basic. It's the love of family that he doesn't have because he's a bastard. Mm-hmm. And and you do kind of almost feel bad for him for that. And in the end, even though he's done um, all the bad things, yeah. in the end his, his, um, his repentance comes too late for him to do anything about it, but just enough for him to die sad. And I think that is the sweetest kind of uh, revenge. Yeah. You know, I feel kind of, yeah, I'm I'm vengeful about it. Because he's just so mean. He's just not a nice person. Yeah. Right? So I think that he's the one who deserves his ending. Not that, like, the way he dies or anything. That's that's not what I mean. I just think that his end comes at the perfect point for his character to have the most pathos. But also the most catharsis for the reader. For me, anyway. Okay. Because I'm a vengeful bitch. Yeah, okay. Checks Are you out. agreeing that I'm a vengeful uh, bitch? No, not at all. Of course not. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, as soon as you said Edmund, yeah. 
I went to Edgar. I was oh, like, yeah, okay. Edgar gets the, because he is, he's the good guy. Yeah, okay. All he's right, the guy right. who survives. I yeah. think you can make it that easy because he really does feel, um, again, like, yeah, more of an allegorical stand-in to an extent. Yeah. But he does have this connection to things. He's he's the one who feigns madness. All the other characters go crazy yeah. or have their eyes plucked out or, yeah. you know, uh, kill each other with poison yeah. and right. stuff. Whereas Edgar just kind of weathers it all. He is very stoic. He's very... Uh, kind of goes with things. Yeah, and yeah, and, uh, yeah, and he, he kind of plays with all the major... He's the one who ties the, the two stories together at the yeah. end by, you know, finding the king and, and all these things. Um, yeah, he just feels like he gets what the play sets him up to deserve. Uh, it's a very simplistic... It's not the answer I was expecting. But, I, well, but, I, When I proposed the question initially, I was like, the character who dies, which one do you think... Oh, Lear, yeah. No, but but <laughs> but you're, you're kind of right that Edgar, his ending, he deserves it. You're not wrong. Yeah. You just took the question in an unexpected way. I can't okay. argue against that. This is a very so, anticlimactic so ancient I, bickerings. I no, I think can't argue I think we it? I think we have to call this one a draw. Um, but uh, <laughs> isn't that convenient? Yeah, I, I liked your answer too. It made a lot of yeah, sense. Yeah, well, but there are, there are other characters who deserve it. Like I, and I think we could argue the opposite, which characters didn't deserve their ending, and we'd probably yeah. say Cordelia. Probably. But um, uh, you know, the other one that I think kind of comes to mind is actually Gloucester because he yeah. he he was blinded. Literally, well, figuratively first figuratively and by his son, yeah, and then yeah, literally right. by his son or by Albany or whoever plucks out his eyes. I don't remember. Uh, and he said it literally doesn't matter. Those two characters, yeah, Cornwall and Albany, are yeah, just the same do not person. Remember, uh, and you know, but but at the end, he does have this yeah. this uh, reconciliation. But again, it's so hollow because you don't get to actually see it. Um, yeah. But you do get a hint of it. Because he's with his son the whole time, and he doesn't know that. There's that that dramatic irony of you knowing it's yes. it's Edgar, but he doesn't. How yeah. does he not recognize his son's voice? I don't know. Anyways, there's well, that says something about parents, yeah, I guess. I maybe. Suppose. But yeah, I, I yeah, yeah. I'd say Edgar's probably the easiest choice. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll stick with that. I'll stick with Edmund. Okay. We'll call it a draw. All right. Parting is such sweet sorrow that I shall say good night till it be morrow. So what are we doing next, Aiden? Uh, you tell me because I don't have the list. I, I think it's Shakespeare and family <laughs> dynamics is our topical ah, episode that we're doing. So what do you know? Looking at the, the family dynamics at play in, um, it's almost like we planned this yeah. for right after Lear. We totally did. We Sidebar. Did. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, we'll talk about um, all the different family plots, family dynamics, the... Um, some good ones. Hamlet and the, the maybe Lear. incestual stuff. Yeah, yeah, Lear yeah. with the... Uh, father-daughter stuff. You've yeah. got the Tempest with father-daughter stuff. You've got fathers and sons littered throughout yes, any of the history plays. Yeah. So there's lots of um, and and in, even in the comedies, you've got uh, yeah, yeah. There's, there's as also you some, like it. Well, with yeah. The brothers, Merchant of and Venice. Merchant of with Venice. The, yeah, with uh, Julia. What's her name? No, Jessica. 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 And, yeah. yeah. And um, yeah. Shylock. So yeah, I mean, definitely, there's lots of families and family dynamics to dive into and after that i think we're reading a play neither one of us has read before timon of yes, athens yes never or timon of it. athens timon of athens timon 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 and pumbaa yes of athens, of athens. Uh, that will be a very fun romp i'm sure i'm sure it will <laughs> no I, I have no idea what it's about i've never even looked at the the d- description so no we'll... i i 
yeah, again, not a play that we've read, but I think there's something about madness in that too, or at least uh, uh, yeah, there's okay. there's questions about the mob or or the rule of law or something like that. I seem to remember Big coming across that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, another another I think another idea of like somebody in power who loses that power. Yeah. And that's, okay. Cool. Um, could be. But it could be wrong. Maybe touch. I just made that up. Yeah. And or I guess we'll you're just find thinking out. of Lear still. Maybe yeah. Yeah. possibly. So uh, uh, yeah, join us. Join us for those ones. Uh, we're looking forward to them, and uh, hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find all our episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast fix. If you want to tell us what you think of Shakespeare, his plays, poems, or any of the topics we discuss, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us on Twitter, that's at TheBixPod, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TheBixPod, or by email at TheBixPod at gmail.com. That's our cue to exit.